This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. Today I'm in the studio with the great trumpet player and teacher Bobby Shue. We'll continue with his career in Los Angeles in the studios and afterwards in a lot of his teaching experiences and his philosophy. Once I got to L.A., I, I knew a lot of people there and connections and stuff, and then I started getting calls immediately, and then next thing I knew I was busy in the studios and miscellaneous things I don't remember what the first things were there were dumb TV shows or something like that you know but as soon as I was visible around town the contractors said oh you're are you here and I said yeah and they said wow that's good to know and so the phone just started ringing and within some movies television yeah uh, movie TVs jingles all that stuff you know rock and roll records and stuff you know so I did that for oh god I lived 38 years in LA I didn't do studio work all of that time because in 1982 I retired from it. So I did I did really about 10 solid years of 15 to 20 sessions a week. You know? That could take a toll on you. Yeah, and in most of what you play, it's just ser- in servitude. You know, it's like it's like a vegetarian working in a butcher shop. You know, <laughs> you just feel completely out of water there. You know, it's, there's nothing that you're gonna. It's memorable. It's no creativity. It's just love boat. Mark and Mindy eight's enough. Uh, you know, uh, Hawaii Five-0, uh, Streets of San Francisco, and, and you just keep playing them week after week after week, and same thing, same drummer, same this, same writer, same oh, ho-hum charts, you know. And so I, it got to me after a while, and I thought, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm, what happened to my original? Where's the Charlie Parker and the Dizzy Gillespie and the Chet Baker and the, the Miles Davis and all that's, that's so deeply embedded in my heart and soul as a player. It wasn't, didn't exist there. Mm-hmm. I used to go out at night and, of course, play with the bands, you know, Louis Belson's band, and then Toshiko formed her band, and I played with Bill Holman's band, Bob Florence's band. I even, well, I even put, I had a big band of my own when I was in Vegas, uh, but then I started playing with, um, with Art Pepper's quintet and then um, Bud Shanks, group. Frank Roslino and I had a quintet together. Different things like that. And then Horace Silver's band. And I found that I was restoring the that love, the, the love of it, the passion, the creativity back to me. And I was getting that out-of-body, ethereal, floating like you had feeling when you were 12. Yeah, on the first day. It came <laughs> when, right back. And you they know? didn't even make you dance. Oh, yeah, man. It was so good. And, you know, I just I sat home one night and, uh, and I thought about it. I sat in the den for about an hour and a half or something, just thinking about my future and trying to, I was trying to get the courage up, I guess, to make a decision that was going to be rather profound, and that was to retire from the studios. And so I did it. I just said, to hell with it. I'm going to do it. You know, what have I got to lose here? I mean, it, it of course, immediately it changed the overall income, you know, that mm-hmm. changed grossly. But but the thing is that everything I was doing was something that I had a passion for. I was playing jazz and I was teaching, and I've always enjoyed teaching or trying to anyway. And so uh, the income fell way down, uh, but I was happier. And then 
once I started getting a little better business sense and stuff, from all the years of book of contracting and man, road managing, I had a sense about business. So I just started organizing files, data files, doing PR, putting out posters and flyers and stuff. And next thing I knew, I was 25 days a month on the road doing clinics and concerts Workshops and jazz clubs and, and festivals and stuff. And then the income came way back up where it had been in the studios and... It was all for doing what I loved. And you were happier. I first met you, I think it was 1983. I was uh, working on my uh, doctorate out at the University of Northern Colorado, and you came out as a guest. I think that's when I first met you. Oh, in Greeley. Yeah, Yeah, in Greeley. And uh, so our paths have crossed quite a few times. Um, When I taught my first college teaching job out in Missouri, you were a guest Maryville, Missouri. Yeah, Maryville, Missouri. And then... Um, you've been here to Georgia State at least two or three times and, and been to Georgia many times you yeah. know, in other capacities at other schools. Right. The one thing I guess that I'm really pleased about is that I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was not born into a wealthy family, a notori- family of notoriety or, or wealth or anything like that that, that made the uh, pathway to growth as a player and a career um, easy. And I think sometimes I see that happening where kids are prodigious a little bit and then they, but they've got wealth and, mm-hmm. and access, uh, networking things. They've got a parent or two that, or a grandfather or somebody that will put them up in a fancy silk suit and put them, get them on stage and, and con their way into some notoriety, get them on YouTube, get them on TV, mm-hmm. is this prodigious thing. But it's like you grease their pathway and they never pay any dues. And they sometimes lack the real depth and that of the experience. also. Well, the humility, that's a very, no, there's no learning ever goes down in the absence of humility. You can bet on that. Mm-hmm. It's the minute you lack humility, you're not going to learn anything. But it's the paying of dues. It's the sense of values, you know. And plus, I think it's a great respect for the real high integrity levels of this art form. This Jazz music is not, it's like, uh, it's not some sort of like way out in left field kind of, oh, option. What, what the sad thing in my mind is that the civilization worldwide, for the most part, has not, as we were saying earlier in this interview here, was, they've not had the exposure if if you went in every elevator and grocery store and heard Charlie Parker instead of uh, raindrops keep falling on my head, people would be much more aware and accepting of this music because it would just be familiar. Uh-huh. Because you can get used to anything if it's around you constantly. I don't care what it is. I grew up around country and Western Latin music in New Mexico. When I, my wife and I were first together, she couldn't believe that I liked country and Western music or... Or he'll, or you know, whatever. She said, how, "How can you listen to that stuff?" I said, "Are you kidding? It's just, it's just folk music. It's just good. It's, it all comes from the heart of some person, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, bluegrass music. I love it, you know. Earl Flatt and Scruggs, man, mm-hmm. my one of my favorite bands, you know. And the fact that I do sit home and listen to stuff like that, I like to keep my mind open. As what did I say? A mind is like a parachute. It works much better when it's open, <laughs> you know." <laughs> So that's where I'm at with the whole thing. I just, uh, you know, in the in the field of education and stuff like that, I just wish there was some way that we could blow the walls out a little bit and loosen the whole system up. And it's pretty and, tight. It's pretty tightly wound with not a lot of flexibility. I, I I've seen that. We've talked about this at great length. And I think with the next 
20 or 30 years, hopefully we can see the, um, the restructuring of a, of a conservatory system that is really, is pretty much outdated. It goes back to the 19th century and here we are in the 21st century and we're still looking at a, a model that's uh, over 100 years old. I think it, the whole thing needs to be restructured and hopefully the two of us together, if we put our minds to it, we can uh, you know, affect some kind of change because it's, it's long overdue. Well, I agree. And I, one of the things, because I've done so many uh, extended residencies outside of America, you find that in Europe the schools are not broadly confusing to students. If, Like one of the great um, conservatories in, in Amsterdam, you know, the Amsterdam Conservatory Music there. It's right next to the Van Gogh Museum and all that stuff. It's beautiful, right across the street from the Symphony Hall and, that, and all that. And it's what happens, it's free, first of all. And you don't have to know that Pierre is the capital of South Dakota to get a passing grade. There's no passing grades. There's no grades. You just go there and they provide classes, teachers, combos, thing, com- composing. You can study anything you want to study. But you don't have to study math or geography or f- physics or unless you want it. But if you want that, you got to go to another school because they don't teach it in that mm-hmm. school. It's a conservatory of music. That's all that's there. And it's vocal, opera, whatever you want. But Well, anyway, I've enjoyed this talk with you, man. This has been uh, very good. And oh, very, it's great. Very fun. It's kind of fun for me to sit back and recall my life and <laughs> go over it again. It was, <laughs> brought a tear to my eye here and there. Now you should I, write a book, you know, that you should. I People have been telling me that for years, and uh, I... Uh, I, I don't see myself writing a book. I read a lot of biographies uh-huh. of musicians that I think are important. I don't think my life is all that important, but I've certainly got some stories. But somebody had pressured me a lot about writing a book, and I thought, well, what would I title the book? The Life of Bobby Shue? How arrogant. No way. So one day I was out there doing these this aerobic stuff in the pool, and I thought, I thought this title for the book came to me, and I got it. It's Bits and pieces of a somewhat negligent career. <laughs> I love it. I think so. I think just the title alone would probably sell at least 10 copies. You know? Yeah, there you go. Some people are going to ask me to write a Trumpet Method book. And I said, why? Aren't there enough? Isn't everybody confused enough already? You know, like, and I, so I started to write a book, and I got nine chapters almost done out of the 14 I had bought. Though. And, but the first page, in the, the first page, page that I wrote is actually the last page of the book and it says to be revised and that's what I started with and so I'm not gonna I don't know if I'll ever write a book I mean there's enough information out there most of it's not true but and there's enough to confuse people they don't need any more no they don't need any more that's no that's right I mean when somebody comes to me I try to work off of science and teach them physiology and anatomy and physics and acoustics and and leave my opinions out of the picture, you know, because they, they don't need any more of those. So. This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. You can visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com and facebook.com slash jazzinsights. Jazz Insights is a production of WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta. Atlanta.